Prisma Center for Jewish Day Schools. My name is Elliot Rabin, and I am Prisma's Director of Thought Leadership. Today's podcast is part of a series called Research Encounter, featuring a conversation between a researcher and a day school leader about a recent work of scholarship. Our guests today are Dr. Tali Zelkowitz, Director of Curriculum and Research at the Wexner Foundation, and Dr. Sarah Shulkin, Head of School at Milken Community Schools in Los Angeles. Tali and Sarah will be talking about the role of identity formation in Jewish day school education. Their conversation is sparked by Tali's chapter, Jewish Educators Don't Make Jews, a sociological reality check about Jewish identity work. That appears in the recent anthology, Beyond Jewish Identity, Rethinking Concepts and Imagining Alternatives, edited by John Levison and Ari Kelman. Welcome Tali and Sarah. Thank you, it's great to be here. So, uh, Tali, why don't we start with you since you wrote the chapter. Tell us about how you came to write this chapter. So, it came out of an um, embedded ethnography that I did for over a year at a community high school um, whose identity I'm keeping confidential and promise to them and in gratitude to them. And what I noticed after a year of living in that community was an interesting asymmetry. I noticed that Jewish studies culture and general studies culture really were a stark, stark um, imbalance. And I can capture it best maybe with the following analogy. What would it be like if we expected all math teachers to make sure that all their students joined math clubs, dated other math students, one day married other mathematicians, please God, and at the end of the day, ultimately raised good little mathematicians themselves. Um, I hope people are chuckling to themselves um, because it sounds absurd and, and, and comical in the, in the math setting, but we see this with a pretty straight face pretty regularly in the Jewish world when it comes to Jewish education. And so this is the asymmetry that um, I started to see and wanted to delve deeper into and see what are the effects and the consequences of this differential pressure put on teachers and the role of a teacher teaching Jewish education where they're not just teaching students that day, they're actually worried about the whole field of Jewish education and Judaism in a way that math teachers and science and literature teachers, et cetera, have the luxury of just teaching their learners that day where they are and wanting to move them intellectually, emotionally, behaviorally too. Um, it sounds, you know, from, from reading your, your chapter and you, you describe a couple of teach Jewish studies teachers in, in two different schools as a kind of a contrast, um, it sounds like you think that a lot of schools are thinking in an unproductive way about Jewish identity. So talk about that. I think what I am suggesting is that we can widen and broaden and maybe even blow up our notion of what um, normal educational culture entails and, and take some, um, some new risks to um, think about what, what are we trying to do in the classroom. So you're, I think, really uh, helpfully going to the core of this and saying, you know, like, what's wrong here? What's, what's the fix? And, and ultimately, I would love to engage in conversation, first and foremost with Sarah, and then with, with everyone else about helping learners add new tools to their Jewish identity formation toolkits and ultimately 
develop more and better strategies for navigating tensions so that at the end of the day, end of each day, not when they're getting married, but at the end of the days, that teachers are ultimately navigators and um, models and coaches and, and helping make learners um, make, I would say, dangerous space. It is dangerous. I want to recognize that. And I'd love to hear Sarah's take on how dangerous or risky this really is. Um, but making space and time for the learners to become Jews rather than feeling like their job is actually to make Jews. Right. Yeah. So Sarah, why don't we, why don't we turn to you? Uh, do you feel that teachers have, in your observation, have undue pressures, Judaic teachers, have undue pressures uh, that they struggle with to, to make Jews, as Tali says, to, um, to, to turn their students into a certain preconceived mold of what it means to be Jewish? So I think that one of, uh, the short answer is yes. And I think that one of the, the pieces that the chapter really helped me think about is the idea of Jewish day school sort of selling identity like almost as a commodity. It's like a fixed point in space as if it was outside any sort of development or, developmental or sociological context. And that for me was such an interesting synthesis of something that I've noticed in the difference between general studies and Judaic studies educators and actually even a difference in like an early childhood educator versus a high school educator, because I think that those are also very different. Mm -hmm. That general studies educators, and really when you just talk about research and education, it's all about meeting the child where they are in that moment, sort of being responsive to the questions that they ask, having outcomes in mind, but being able to tear the lesson to what comes up organically for kids. Like in an ECC context, you talk about social constructivism. So that idea, which doesn't feel as dangerous, I would say, in an ECC child, becomes much more dangerous as kids get older. And the pressure feels much more real, like they're one year away from college. We have to make sure that their identity is formed, such that it's so unshakable that they will go to college and then beyond and be the Jews that we want them to be, whatever that really means. And I think when I was reading the chapter, something that was so fascinating, just sort of looking at it as just an educator, forget a Jewish educator, is the idea that like what happens in Judaic studies classrooms is really just bad pedagogy. Like the, the focus on where we want kids to be and sort of the asking and answering of our own questions and the inability to create any sort of like fluidity or ambiguity ends up having the exact opposite effect of what we intend. And, and that I think is really real. I think it's real. I mean, I've only been in what I would describe as more like pluralistic community-based schools, but my guess is that that's probably real cross-denominationally. So that's, um, that's really interesting, a really interesting observation. It's really interesting to hear how much uh, Tali's uh, chapter chimes with your own experience. And I'm wondering, Sarah, how you work with Judaics educators to help shift them the mindset and take some of that pressure off so that they're able to focus on good pedagogy. 
So it's been really, I, I don't know if this is answering the question directly, and Tali, you probably have a lot, I would love your answer to that question, but I, I think one of the really interesting experiences of this year has been visiting other day schools, both here and internationally, and then meeting with other day school heads, because some of the things that you think just have to be when you're completely outside of your own context actually don't have to be. So like, I'll give you a really concrete example. At the modern Orthodox day schools in Australia, like kids don't daven every day. They don't wear kippot every day. Like those are things that would feel in our Los Angeles modern Orthodox context like complete non-negotiable. So I, I think that that piece of just sort of seeing broader than the specific context that you're in is one part of it. Um, I also think like creating, you know, really like observing and watching kids and creating space for kids to be able to weigh in on their own educational experience and what is working and what's not working. Now, Tali, what do you think? You've been in so many day schools. I love, I, I wrote down the phrase that you said, uh, it feels like selling Jewish identity as a commodity. There's so much there to be unpacked. And I love your framing uh, that this is really about systemic norms and assumptions. One of my favorite definitions of culture is that culture is what uh, is defined as possible or impossible and the means for relating to what is possible or impossible. Right. And so I think you started off by talking about just good and bad pedagogy. And I struggled with that as I worked on my research because I didn't want this to become just a critique of teacher education or teachers. And it really did feel like more than just about PD, it, it, professional development as teachers, it's about a systemic kind of survivalist industry, survivalism industry that has these embedded unquestioned norms about uh, why we're all here and, um, and, and that we're, you know, this compulsive pulse checking. Are we here? Are, right. are we here now? Are we here now? Um, and, and it distorts the educational process. So part, a big part of this, you talk about culture, we talked about pedagogy, but a big part of the issue, as I see it, that you're describing has to do with mission a school's mission and the mission as it's co conveyed to uh, parents, potential parents and funders. So I'm wondering if you have thoughts about what, I, what, what place identity has or should have in the, in the mission of a Jewish school. I think there's a really awesome opportunity here for parent education. Um, we have, you know, a very interesting dynamic in the Jewish day school world of rec recruiting. We have recruitment, retention, and there's a whole power dynamic around this dance that we do, trying to make the case for Jewish day schools, particularly in the liberal Jewish context. And I had a question, actually, I'm gonna dare to ask it in the spirit of jungle gyms and not China shops. <laughs> um, I, it occurred to me, uh, as I was thinking about this conversation we would have today, if my paradigm is fundamentally a liberal paradigm, like I, I wonder if there's room for my Orthodox colleagues to find value in taking these sort of risks and saying, what if I, is it possible to relinquish the sense of identity outcome across the denominational board? And so, and this is by way of kind of addressing your question about mission, 
you know, does it have value in halachic and pluralistically halachic settings? Uh, Sarah, tell me, uh, you know, what role does identity play in your school's mission as you express it? Okay, I'm gonna answer that, but I also, I just wanna respond to what Tali said, because I think there's something really interesting in that question. And, um, you know, in Los Angeles, one of our, one of our, um, one of my close colleagues, Rabbi Ari Siegel, runs the modern, runs Shell Havet, a modern Orthodox school. And one of the really interesting conversations that I've had both directly with him and also with people who are sort of in both communities is that in some ways, and I know that there's like an irony to this, he actually has more latitude mm. because he's so defined in, you know, no one is going to question that Shell Havet is decisively Jewish, that, you know, they're, decisively Zionist, however you define that. So if he brings in somebody that's really going to question assumptions, it's within a context of certainty in a way. So the boundaries are clear. And I think that that's, there's sort of an irony to that, whereas every decision that we make when our students go to Washington, D.C., what senator they meet with, what locations they visit, what they don't visit, it's all about sort of that identity struggle of like, are you here? Are we still here? Like, are, you know, are we going to be here? It's all with that echo. And I, I just think like there's an interesting study to be done in that realm as well. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Reading this chapter made me check the way that I talk about Jewish education, both as an educator and as a parent. And, you know, I think um, I do, and we do fall into the trap of basically sort of like selling Jewish identity. Like, you know, as if it's something that if your kids just spend enough time with us, they'll be the kind of Jews that the community wants them to be. But again, whatever that means, but there's sort of a um, magical thinking around that, I would say. You know, if you as a parent do all the right things, if you put your kids in Jewish school and belong to a really vibrant Jewish community and send your kids to Jewish camps, then four generations from now, our children will still be Jews in the way that we imagine them to be Jews, which of course is in some ways completely ridiculous because what else is not adaptive? Like what else doesn't change over time? And I think that the piece that really, like, I mean, a lot about this chapter resonated, but that whole idea of that the goal being, that, that piece about like if there is urgency, that the urgency is really getting to kids to engage in like authentic, dynamic ways with tradition, text, and identity formation such that they feel that they have a hand in crafting it themselves, both for themselves and for their future communities. That piece, I think, is really resonant. And if we could just change the whole way we talked about it to being that, or identity navigators, or lots of the phrases that I, identity work navigators, lots of the phrases that I sort of pulled out of this chapter, it would both be much more authentic to the output and to the work that we're doing, and it would release some of the pressure of where our success is measured by, you know, whatever factors, we, how many kids go on to lead Jewish lives, again, in whatever way that means and whatever boundaries we set for that. So it was a really interesting reframing. But yeah, we just rewrote our mission. And what does our mission say? It says, you know, founded on Milton Community Schools, founded on Jewish values, is about who our students will become mm -hmm. and how they will help others become who they might be. And that we're educating our children so they can surpass us. So while it doesn't specifically say the words identity, the idea of identity and sort of future identity is very embedded into that mission. It's a very different mission than if we were to say our mission is to get kids to 
sort of live in that dangerous space and engage authentically and dynamically with texts and traditions we call our own. A, a couple things uh, came into my mind. One, Halloween proves Sarah's point about clearer boundaries making it safer, not more dangerous. So Halloween is not an issue for modern Orthodox or Orthodox Jewish day schools, I learned in some research I did. It's a huge issue for reform, conservative, and community day schools because it, it is threatening. It's, it's one of those litmus tests of authenticity. It's, if you do it or do you not do it? And if you don't do it, it you know, it compromises all this sense of uh, legitimacy. And, and also, um, right after this call, I'm actually uh, going to teach fifth and sixth grade. I'm a guest teacher at my local community day school. And my question is, does prayer work? And I have to be, I've been talking myself down from this ledge and have to let it, any number of the kids come to the conclusion, no. Like, what do I do if they really push back? And I've decided that just like the, the, one of the teachers in the case studies in the chapter was so proud when the guy said, can't be twins, the, you know, the Torah has to, be, has to have one meaning, you know, that I wanna be proud if they have a compelling justification and also to remember, that's what that kid, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, is saying today. They have to be allowed to be you know, emergent and, and, and change their minds. Um, um, I guess, the, and the last thing I'll, I'll add is a little experiment that I've stumbled upon by accident. When I'm talking about this in large groups, or um, I, I say, how many of you in this room have, is, believes they are the same Jew that today they were five years ago? Maybe one or two hands go up. And then I go to, you know, two years, one year, six months. I get down to like three weeks ago, yesterday, and there are still hands that aren't up. They're, 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 in other words, their, their self-perception, their understanding of themselves as Jews has changed. And for many of those people in those rooms, those are professional Jews. Jews, you know, and I think what we sometimes inadvertently do is feel like, Lay, lay leaders or non-professional Jews or students in Jewish day schools are at risk when we give them room to explore, as opposed to saying, no, this is the very precise space and room that we all use to get where we are as Jewish professionals to explore that. And so it's, it's not for the, um, what is it called? Faint of heart, this Jewish education. Uh, building on that, I think, Part of the, that there, I hear a lot of fear that educators and schools and parents and, and the community has. There's a real, there's a very strong insecurity that you, that you talk about, uh, Tali, in your chapter. And that insecurity is leading, leads some people to not place their trust, to fear placing their trust in students and in the process of education, which we know is a, is a process that each person really has to do the hard work of in order to internalize mm -hmm. the, the tradition uh, in the way that they're going to, to do so. And you can't shortchange that. And when you try to shortchange that, there can be terrible uh, risks and, and repercussions. Uh, I want to talk about that insecurity because that, that's, that's very real and it's very understandable. I mean, we're a community that not long ago faced the worst tragedy in our history. Uh, and on top of that, there's, you know, we read the, 
Pew studies and the demographics and, and uh, all kinds of uh, fearful trends that have made the community fearful of what the future holds. And I think that's a, a big part of what we're, what shapes the, your observations today. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering what you think, of, what do you think about that? How does insecurity, how do these insecurities shape our schools and our shape stakeholders? And, and maybe more importantly, how can schools uh, address those insecurities in a way that preserves the uh, integrity of our educational process? I can feel palpably in the air, the insecurity that you're talking about. And I think, you know, obviously coronavirus hasn't helped with that. The recent anti-Semitism, both on Milken's campus and in Los Angeles hasn't helped with that. But I think one thing that I've noticed as being really interesting is sort of the um, asymmetrical response mentalities, like with asymmetrical responses to that. So on the one hand, there are educators, board members, leaders who sort of see an uncertain future and feel in my opinion, falsely, like we can control it somehow. Like if we, if we only force every child to wear a kippah, then somehow they will go on to their adult lives and want to be kippah-wearing Jews. So, and then there are people that sort of have the opposite response, which is to, I would say, like really embrace the ambiguity and to try and get kids to do what I think actually kids do really well, which is like grapple with confused space. And I think, you know, I'm just like thinking about a moment of real brilliance, I thought, in what I saw happen with um, one of our rabbis, Rabbi Sean Fields Meyer, and she's an amazing, amazing Jewish educator who I'm basically going to walk down to her office and hand her this chapter after this, but she, um, there was, they have a whole program where they do sort of communal gatherings and there's I think once a month, it's a grade level law experience, which is pretty varied. And as you're walking in, there are kippot on the table. And I was new to the school, so I said to her, you know, Sean, do we make kids wear kippot? Because in my last iteration at Milken, they definitely did. And certainly at Sinai Kiva, you have to. It does not. Mm-hmm. And she said, they're here. I offer it. And if they want it, they take it. Sometimes they try it one time and never put it on again. Sometimes they wear it every time. Sometimes kids will say it makes them uncomfortable that every child's not wearing it. She said, but the people that often the most look at it and grapple with it are the people who are the educators who want to know what does it mean for the future that you could be in a service where not every child is wearing a kippah. So I think like that's such an interesting, but I love the pedagogy of saying to kids, no, no, your identity, like you experiment, you try it out, you feel what it's like. And that it's offered to them and there's an educational opportunity, but there's no sense of if they don't do it, that there's value laden from the school. And if they do do it, that there is either way. And her sense of it's fluid. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're trying out a specific identity. If we could hold on to that as a response in security, I actually think it would build a much more secure future for the Jewish people. I, I, I totally am cheering inside and out for <laughs> what, what Sarah's saying. And... Um, a, um, another way to say that is to think about what the opposite of play is. So sometimes we think about education as ideally it's a playground all the way from preschool through adulthood. We should be playing. And uh, when I ask people, what's the opposite of play? Nine times out of 10, they say, what would you say the opposite of play is? Work. 
work, work, right? They say work, and which is like the saddest thing in the entire world from a child's point of view. If their work is play, it better not be work to be the opposite of play. And, and actually, I think psychologically and educationally, the opposite of play is anxiety. That's really interesting. Yeah, and, really and interesting. We, we know that when we can't play, it's because we're fearful and we can't take risks. So what you started with, Elliot, about trust is so core to all of this. And we live right now in a time when that is so fragile. And here I am trying to talk about durability and we're, we're feeling like we're on eggshells. But I, I really, my, my sort of secondary fear is that our fear itself will limit and prevent us from moving forward. And it's not that I don't want Jewish continuity, of course I do. Um, but I want one that's, you know, um, full of confidence and joy and uh, small a authenticity. That is, it allows each Jew to feel truth, you know, who they are and to carry their own Jewish identity package um, as an embedded hard drive and not as some kind of weird app on the side or, um, <laughs> yeah. I want to quote something from your article because to me it, it showcases something about Jewish studies. Here's the sentence. What is at stake is how, in what spaces, with what tools, with what peer culture, and with what adult models uh, the student navigates these and any other dilemmas in his Jewish identity work. I wonder if people are School, our day schools are sometimes putting too much pressure on the Jewish studies classroom itself to accomplish certain things. Uh, and maybe if they saw that really the whole school is uh, shaping mm. Jewish identity in, in all kinds of ways, that, that might relieve some of that pressure. Um, I like to think about Jewish day school and Jewish camp having more in common with each other than say supplementary Jewish education with Jewish day school, even though they're both considered formal education and camp is informal. And the reason for that is I think camp and day school are more immersive models. They're what, you know, total institution. The more we brush our teeth and get dressed and go to sleep and, and live a kind of full human life with each other, the more there is a, there's an organic culture that we're, living all the parts of ourselves together and not compartmentalizing. I'd like to see, I would, as an educator and as a researcher, I'd like to see the larger school setting as a, as a kind of holding environment for an organic lived Jewish culture um, where you know, the information passes freely, information and identity work passes freely between science and Hebrew studies and Jewish studies and math and literature. Um, yeah, I'd have to think more about what, how that could really look, but I think it happens at a lot of day schools. Interesting, because I, I don't have a good answer to your question, but I was thinking about, I was recently visiting outside of Los Angeles, a ECC where I walked into a pre-K classroom. So these are four-year-olds. And the four-year-olds are sitting there doing worksheets on letter blends, okay? Which there is no research. To support. I mean, in fact, all of the research coming out of uh, early childhood education is all actually about the value of play and sort of unstructured time and the social problem solving that happens there and the development of language. And I was talking with a board member of the school and I said, I'm just, 
so surprised, you know, at this point, it feels so out of sync with what's going on if you read The Importance of Being Little or any of Denise Pope's work. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, well, that's what the parents want. Like, that's the competition. And if they want to get into the best elementary school and then get into the best high school and then get into whatever Ivy League college. And she said, it's a ECC through Chelsea. So she said, you know, the kids do well. She said, they're getting into good colleges. And so there's a piece of what we're talking about that is just about a total rethinking of what we mean when we say good education or the kids do well or the measurements of success are there. Because that's not, that's not the school I want to run. I mean, I want kids who both Jewishly, I mean, part of it is because identity is not totally separate from um, agency or sense of self outside of a Jewish realm. And so I think it is about creating educational environments that promote that. So, and what, what we're saying about Jewish education is true of education overall. Like who says, who says kids need to read in kindergarten? Who says that they need to be sitting at desks? I mean, who says that the learning environment is better when, you know, that they're able to recite their math facts by third grade? I mean, I, I don't feel that way. And I don't think the research supports that. So, and even if it does support that knowing your math facts by third grade is one higher probability of getting into Stanford or Harvard, which I have to say, I think is correlation and not causation because you're coming out of highly educated homes. Is that what we want? Like, is that what's going to solve the problems that we're facing in our world overall, never mind in the Jewish community? So I do think what you're saying is really true. It's just sort of a, a general rethinking of what this all could look like. Before we end, I'm just wondering if there's any last thoughts that you have about Jewish identity in, in, and its relationship to Jewish day schools and Jewish education. I think Jewish day schools are the most exciting living laboratory for this kind of work slash play that I know of. And part of the reason I think that is because they are by design um, combine under one roof daily the dance of being a part of and apart from America as Jews, as Jonathan Sarna puts it so aptly. And, and that's this dance that's so dangerous and so delicious and that Base all of us along the denominational spectrum want some of both of those worlds in some proportion. And figuring how to do that, I think, is the, you know, we're heirs to the enlightenment. We're, it's still an experiment. And I'm really excited about the educational vehicle of Jewish day schools to be that. That's great. Sarah, do you have any final, final thoughts about this? I would echo everything Tali just said. I think that that is beautifully put. And as an educator who's in a school, it really is an inspiration to sort of watch that playing out with real kids and real teachers who are evolving and living in that tension on a daily basis. Thank you so much, Tali and Sarah, for joining us today. If you'd like to continue the conversation with either of our guests today, please contact me, Elliot Rabin, at elliotr at prisma.org. To learn more about Prisma, go to our website at www.prisma.org. Follow us on social media at Prisma CJDS for all things Prisma and the Day School Network. Thank you for tuning in to today's stimulating PrismaCast. We hope you enjoyed and we'll come back again soon for future episodes.